From Given, this is Purposing, the podcast that lifts the lid on how to run a truly purpose-driven business. I'm Becky Willen, and with the help of leaders from some of the world's most recognized brands, I'll be demystifying this often misunderstood topic into clear, actionable advice you can use in your own business. This week, I'm joined by Simon Hansel-Thomas, Director of Global Public Affairs, Advocacy and Transparency at IKEA. Simon has spent the last 20 years helping businesses have a positive impact on people and the planet. Through this conversation, you'll learn how to create a positive relationship between purpose and profit, build belief in your purpose across your workforce, and use the power of your brand to create meaningful change in the world. Before I speak with Simon, let's take a quick look back at his career to learn how he became responsible for purpose-driven campaigning and advocacy at IKEA. Like many 21-year-olds, Simon decided to go traveling after university. It was a really amazing trip that really opened my eyes somehow. It was a journey that would impact the rest of his life. I remember being in Africa, seeing the volumes of people and the tourism and seeing how vulnerable the ecosystem was and thinking, is that really sustainable? He visited the stunning, world-famous beaches of Thailand. Seeing again the stress on the ecosystem and the beaches, And in the crowds and traffic of bustling Hong Kong, Simon realized something. I had this slightly cheesy, maybe road to Damascus moment where I just had this perception that everything was so unsustainable. And it it just felt like both socially and environmentally, the system that we were in couldn't last. It did make me think, I want to work to try and perpetuate a better system. When he got back home, Simon began working for NGOs, but he found the pace of change was too slow and the impact too small. I remember having a chat with someone at the body shop. They talked about the scale of the body shop supply chain and the volumes of ingredients that the body shop was buying from Ghana at the time. And it made me really think about, okay, how could I apply what I know in the business community? And then after five years at the body shop, Simon got a call from Steve Howard, then Chief Sustainability Officer at IKEA, asking, you know the impact you can have working for a brand with the scale of of IKEA. That really attracted me to to working and, and trying to have a positive impact in the business community. Simon has been with IKEA for more than a decade now, where he's responsible for global public affairs, advocacy and purpose led campaigning. Simon, welcome to the show. Thanks, Becky. Great to be here. First off, Simon, can you set the scene for us? So what is the IKEA purpose and how well understood and embedded do you think it is across the IKEA business? The IKEA vision and the purpose is is to create a better everyday life for the many people. So it's a super inspiring vision that everyone should be able to afford a nice home. It's about democratising a nice home and home furnishings and providing that at such an affordable price that as many people as possible can afford them. And actually within that vision, there's there's three parts. One is obviously about affordability. Uh, one's about accessibility. And the other is about having a positive impact on people and planet. Because of course, you can't create a better everyday life if the planet is burning um, or if the environment is in trouble. So Ingvar Kamprad, he, he wrote something called A Testament of a Furniture Dealer, where he laid out this vision. I would say the purpose is really well understood and embedded. I think it's um, a bit like a stick of rock in IKEA. I'd say a large number of co-workers buy into that vision. I think it's what gets many of them up in the morning. I think it's what keeps many of them awake at night. 
And I think it's why people join IKEA ultimately and probably why many stay. One of the things to, to face into is the fact that there'll always be people who say that IKEA, you know, actually just makes cheap, low quality stuff that people don't actually need and you're fueling unsustainable consumption. So what do you say to that? How do you reconcile that idea with this focus on affordability and sustainability? To try and stop consumption altogether is too simplistic. I think it's unrealistic and it's unfair on those people who want a good home and who want to live a nice, cosy life and, and have the things that they need. But we absolutely need to move to a future where sustainable consumption is the main form of consumption, focusing on how, when and what we consume so that it is, yeah, it's a sustainable mechanism. And I guess in IKEA, we're on a journey there. I wouldn't say we're perfect. I don't think we have all the answers. But one of the ways that we try and contribute to sustainable consumption is through sustainable production. So making sure that the products are produced and offered with sustainability at the core. Then I think the question of scale is really interesting because one way of looking at it is that scale is bad. But what if we actually looked at it that scale is good? And if we are able to produce sustainable furniture and sustainable services, what if we scaled that sustainability to many more people than would normally have access to it. And I think linked to that as well, and it comes back to the IKEA vision, it's this thing of why, Becky, should sustainability be only affordable for the few? Mm. You know, Shouldn't the many actually be able to afford to live sustainably and, and, and a nice life at home? Why should it be a luxury? So there are many ways we're doing that through sustainable materials and through repurposing and circular economy, which I guess we get into later. But my argument would be that the world should be better off with more IKEAs rather than less. Lots of businesses, even some of the original good brands like John Lewis Partnership and The Body Shop, where we both worked earlier in our career, lots of those brands have actually revisited their purpose in recent years. I think one of the things that's interesting about IKEA, or IKEA, I should say, if I'm saying it properly, is that your founder defined that idea back in the 70s when the world was, you know, undoubtedly a very different place. So, how are you ensuring that that idea is is still relevant and impactful today when there have been so many changes in, in the external context? I think if you have a purpose that is truly core to what you do, mm. it should be timeless. And actually, when you go back and you read the Testament of a Furniture Dealer, this document I mentioned by Ingvar, it feels so modern. Like It feels like it was written for today. Like he said, waste of resources, a mortal sin, Nikia. He said things like making mistakes is a privilege of the active and happiness is not reaching your goal. Happiness is being on the way. The purpose should be in a forever document. And, you know, then strategies and plans can change, but the purpose stays consistent and constant. And for me, that's the test of it. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's fair. I think the reason that that work was done in both organisations that, that I've mentioned was because for whatever reason, the purpose had lost its edge and its ability, I guess, to help drive profitable, sustainable growth and to help people make decisions. And I suppose I would argue if that's happening, if your purpose isn't giving you the ability to do that, then it's worth looking at it. And I guess that's the point because for purpose to drive that kind of profitable, sustainable growth, it can't be a side project. It has to shape all of the ways in which the business creates value. So It'd be great to understand what are the main ways that purpose is a source of value creation for IKEA. Maybe in IKEA we're lucky that the the purpose still still resonates, but of course in a changing world you're right. It may be that businesses need to pivot. I mean, for example, there are companies who who used to be in chemicals who are now into well being 
yeah. um, because of the changing nature of their business. So I, I agree. I mean, we, we try and take a holistic view of performance, and maybe that's the starting point where, of course, we've always measured performance on revenue and profit because like we're like any other business. But we've also recently introduced a set of holistic, what we call value creation goals. And the idea behind that is that we try and look at more of a four-dimensional perspective on value creation, which goes beyond revenue. So we look at value for customers and we look at how we create better homes, um, which is very core to the vision. We look at value for people and communities, how we help them live better, healthier and more sustainable lives. We look at value for the planet and we also look at value for the company, which of course includes profit. We're not an NGO, of course, IKEA needs to make profit. But what we try and do is, is balance that all up. All of our business leaders now are accountable for delivering value in all four of those dimensions in their respective units. And this is how we measure success. I'll be honest and humble that that's a journey you know, for a company who's been measuring a certain way for a while. You, then, of course, there, there is a certain amount of catch up in other areas. But that's the intention that we really drive value in a four dimensional way, not just a one dimensional way. And how important is it to put indicators or metrics against those other sources of value? So the ones, obviously, we all know how business value generally gets measured, and that's through revenue or profit. How much have you tried to focus on putting a measure on those other areas versus actually help people understand what value looks like in those areas? I think it's critical, Becky. Otherwise, I think you undervalue the other dimensions. So why should you measure profit but not purpose? I think mm. being able to measure the impact and also being able to measure outcomes as well and not just measure activity. I think profit's a very clear outcome measure, but then sometimes we measure activity in, in yeah. sustainability or in purpose, but it, it should be the same. It should be outcome. It should be CO2 avoided or CO2 reduced or people positively impacted by the business, etc. Clearly, the reason for putting these new measures in place isn't for the sake of it. It's to drive change and to drive better outcomes. So what does that actually look like in practice? So what are the, some of the things that IKEA has done differently as a result mm. of having such a clear purpose and of creating clarity about the outcomes that you're trying to drive through your purpose? We're incorporating sustainability in, into processes, rules, and overall business governance. So, for example, when we take a decision now on investment, investing, we look at both the financial returns and the social and the CO2 impact so that it's a balanced scorecard. We had a year between 2016 to 21, we actually managed to decouple growth from our carbon footprint. So we grew by 17.6% in that period. And we reduced our CO2 footprint by just under 7%. Also, we have um, an investment arm of IKEA, and we're now one of the biggest investors in wind energy. So we've invested around 2.5 billion in renewable energy, and that that's good for the planet. It's it's also good for returns, right? Because renewable energy is increasingly a good investment as well. During COVID, the we all, like many other retailers, had to close our stores to protect co-workers and customer health. So, it, And we saw at the time that governments were offering funds to furlough some of those co-workers. And actually, we thought that was the responsible thing to do, to help protect the livelihoods of those co-workers. We then saw digital sales take off. And in the end, we took quite a tough decision. And we actually decided to voluntarily pay back all the money that we'd received from governments because we felt it was the right thing to do. And because we felt if we were simultaneously doing better than expected, we shouldn't hold on to that money. So that was quite a big test of our purpose and one I think we're quite proud of. 
Was there a particular moment where that suddenly felt like the right thing to do? It's not a land of milk and honey, right? It's, it's never black and white. And I think we should be careful. Just because you have a purpose doesn't make everything easy. It can be a guiding star. It can be a North Star. It can be, you know, something you hold on to. But ultimately, you still need to navigate dilemmas. I think in that example, it was a classic case of, you know, senior business leaders discussing a dilemma, bringing in the ethical component, bringing in the business component, bringing in our values, bringing in our purpose. And then ultimately, you just have to decide what you think is the right thing to do. It's brilliant to share examples where purpose helped the business make a progressive uh, decision. Are there any decisions that have been made where you think actually, on in hindsight, your purpose could have played a bigger role in the last few years? Life and business is full of trade-offs, and especially the turbulent times we're in now. I think when I look at some of the goals, so we've said that we'll be people and planet positive by 2030, that we'll be a fully circular business by 2030, that we'll be climate positive. These are quite bold goals, and we're on the way in many areas. But you know, now with eight years left to go, and I don't think we're the only business with these sharp 2030 targets, I think there'll be many dilemmas in the coming eight years. Sustainability and affordability, we want them to go hand in hand, but mm. we ha- can't be naive. Sometimes there is a trade-off. Sometimes you need to pay a bit more. Sometimes you may need to make a shorter-term investment up front that results in a longer payback. I find also when you go, in, go into these conversations, it's good to be as open as possible. I mean, I have my own values and I have my own beliefs and I've been in sustainability all my life. So, of course, you know, I'm passionate about it. But I also find you the more open you are in the discussion, the more you empower others and the more you empower the leaders around you and you lead interdependently through the dilemmas. I think the more you build that muscle internally. When it comes to being a profitable purpose-driven businesses, do you think there are any advantages to being privately owned? And equally, are there any downsides to this? Because the majority of complex businesses are on the journey of a shareholder owned their PLCs. It's interesting that you look to businesses like IKEA, Johnny's Partnership, who have, you know, the co-op group in this country have different ownership structures. So what are some of the advantages, disadvantages of that from, from your experience? Ingvar built IKEA in a special way, which is we're owned by a foundation. So we're not a listed company, we're a private company, and the profits do not go into the pockets of individuals through dividends or private shareholders. Instead, there's only two ways we can invest that money. One is back into IKEA in the future needs of the business, and the other is to donate to the charitable foundation. And in that way, we secure financial resilience and we deliver to the purpose. So it's quite a unique setup. And I think that does allow us certain things. I think it it generally, in my experience, means we can take longer term decisions. It means we can take a slightly longer game when it comes to investments. It allows us to be a bit more focused on on the purpose dimension than maybe if you're in a listed company. So I think they're the pros. I think the thing I have noticed is I have some friends who work in listed companies, and I think the rigor of a, a quarterly forecast and of needing to be accountable to shareholders on a regular basis can also be quite a good discipline. And I think Ikea has been on a journey to to increasingly become more transparent and more open, which I think we're in a good place now. Let's get into a bit more about how you build belief and purpose within the business. We did some research with YouGov and that showed that around 70% of people in big companies in the UK felt that their company's purpose conflicted or at least only partially aligned with their day-to-day experience. So how are you making sure that 
your purpose genuinely shapes the day-to-day experience for a typical IKEA co-worker, which is what you call colleagues and employees in the business, isn't it? I feel that the purpose is quite well embedded into the culture of IKEA. It almost knocks you over. The the purpose is so front and centre. Whenever you go into a meeting, the purpose is almost repeated through through many situations. I think there is, through the onboarding and and getting access to people around you and, and certain training modules. And I think there's quite a strong focus on culture in IKEA and, and maintaining that entrepreneurial culture that Ingvar started. We try and celebrate success and highlight internally when it goes right. You know, when you're a senior leader, for example, coming in now, it's very clear how you're appraised and how your performance is, is driven. It's it's through that balanced scorecard. We launched a, an assembly guide for the future, we called it, which was just a book, but it was a book that explained what IKEA has done, is doing and will do on sustainability over the many decades, because I think sometimes you forget the heritage. And that book was sent to all co-workers and it was quite well received. And I think you need to keep laser focused on making sure people continue to get exposure to the purpose and, and get inspired by it. From an internal perspective, how would you say that co-worker expectations around what being a purpose-driven organisation means has changed over the last decade or so. Rightfully, co-workers expect certain things from the company that they work for now. They expect more than just making profit. They expect us to have a positive impact in the world. So I think that's clearly a big trend now. And we notice it with, with talent, with retention, with recruitment. It doesn't go an interview where I don't get a question about, okay, what are you doing on sustainability then? I think employees, co-workers are attracted to companies now, in part because of the career journey, the benefits, the pay, but also now increasingly their sustainability strategy and their purpose. So I think there's a really powerful idea that when organisations are thinking about defining their culture, it's actually defined by the worst behaviours tolerated in an organisation. And I think we could borrow this for purpose. So you could say that purpose is actually shaped by your least purposeful decision. So what are the things that you think you still need to work on? I talked about the decoupling of the climate emissions from growth. We've done that over one period, but we now need to do it again and again and again forever. And that is quite a significant industrial shift. We've tested some really good circular models. We've done buyback programs. We do refurbishment. And now we need to roll that out at scale. 100% electric vehicles by 2025 is another goal that we had. And again, we made some good progress in some cities, but it's not so easy in others. And I think the the value creation goals are relatively recent and they won't be operationalized overnight, right? I think we need to take people through that. And it's unlearning some very deeply entrenched habits and behaviors and and learning to make decisions differently. I think it's a huge cultural challenge for most organizations that requires both the sort of hard ri- hardwiring side of things, so the metrics and the processes and the tools and the governance, but also that belief, that engagement. And I think it's only possible to create that change if both of those things happen. And I think the other thing is this idea, this kind of dichotomy or this like polarization that it's purpose or profit. There are many reasons why that is a polarization, why that's maybe somehow how people believe it is. But ultimately, we have to believe that purpose and profit can go hand in hand. And if you have that as your starting point, 
then I think it becomes easier to, to unpack those dilemmas because it must be a win-win. Otherwise, capitalism is doomed to failure, which I don't agree. So, <laughs> Yeah, I completely agree with that. I think to do the kind of work that we do, I think you have to believe that capitalism in its current dominant form isn't working, but that it can work to serve society. There are a number of countries who have decoupled climate emissions from GDP. Mm. So it can be done. Let's move beyond how you embed purpose-driven practices into the kind of business model culture, operations, products and services, and focus on the idea of activating purpose through your brand. And so how businesses are using the power of their voice to visibly, publicly, collaboratively bring about positive change in, in society. So how important is campaigning and advocacy for purpose-driven businesses, do you think? I think it's critical. It's not enough that IKEA or any other business does something good on its own. It's great that you're reducing your CO2 emissions, but how do we change the system? How do we change policies? How do we bring many with us? And whether we like it or not, I think some of the most powerful voices in society are brands. It's a great privilege, but also a great responsibility. Partly in response to that, IKEA has set up uh, a central team that's really dedicated to advocacy and, and campaigning on issues that are relevant and related to your purpose. That's quite an unusual, it's not a sort of typical public affairs team. So how did the creation of that team come about? And, and I guess what makes it different to the ways that other businesses might sort of organise their, their efforts in that space? We've always been quite quiet and quite humble. Even when I say that, I say it in a quiet voice. It's, it's quite a Swedish value and it's also a very strong IKEA value is humbleness. But I think humbleness doesn't necessarily mean being silent. And I think that is a realization that we've had, that it is actually, it is our responsibility to have a seat at the table, to share a point of view and to try and use the IKEA brand for greater good and greater impact. So we have a traditional public affairs team who does amazing stuff to influence policy. But we also asked ourselves, what, what if we actually took some of those asks and positions to a wider audience? What if we ran campaigns to customers around societal topics. Still, Becky's still work in progress. I think the team's a few years old, but the theory of change there is that maybe we could leverage the power of business to achieve some bigger change in society. We ran an alternative Black Friday campaign. And the starting point for that was, what if we flipped the script on Black Friday? And instead of running sales across the business, what if we actually drove people to our resale area and try to get people to bring furniture back and, and, and to, to take part in the circular economy. And it's been a super cool campaign, really well received by customers. I think if you start a campaign like that with what do we want to achieve in society, then I think you're off to a winner because you, you then deliver that around a societal goal. And then, of course, you get the, the marketing muscle in and you get the brand muscle in. And, of course, that drives really good leverage with customers. But I think then you avoid quite light, greenwashy campaigns. Ultimately, the goal is to do something meaningful and, and create change. And I think talking of greenwash or purpose wash, I think in my view, that is most likely to happen when basically the only place a company's purpose is evident is in its marketing, PR, kind of advertising campaigns. So how do you ensure that the business is taking sufficient action on any issue that you choose to support through campaigning? How do you make sure that the substance is there before you really go all in? 
I think this is absolutely critical. I think the starting point has to be, do we have legitimacy on this topic? You know, if you're campaigning on something, then you need to at least be, you don't have to be perfect, but you need to have something to say. Sometimes I think brands are accused of taking advantage and being opportunistic of certain situations. And I think you, you want to avoid that as well because it's not genuine. For a global campaign, it needs to be in line with our own actions. It needs to be good for people, planet and for business. And it needs also, I think, to be locally relevant as well as globally sensitive because some of these topics are, are so different if you're in Australia or if you're in Serbia. So they're some of the guiding principles that we have. Most organizations today, most big complicated businesses are taking action on a whole range of different social environmental topics. But how do you decide that enough action is happening to warrant kind of lending the the power of your brand to a bigger topic? Whose whose job is that? How does that work at IKEA? I think it's everyone's job. I mean, IKEA is a very consensus-driven organization. It's the Swedish management theory. So everyone everyone has a say, basically. You should all co-own these topics. So marketing should be around the table, comms should be around the table, sustainability, even people and culture, depending on the topic. And you know, you should together decide whether or not you have legitimacy on that topic. And normally I find the content owners or the experts, they know. So, you know, someone in sustainability will know if we can take a stand on something because they they feel it and they know it. When you're building campaigns, how do you ensure that campaigning genuinely creates meaningful change? So for example, you know, do you always have a clear theory of change or does IKEA have a framework for how this sort of systemic change actually happens? I think sometimes campaigns are enough just to shine a light. You can just have awareness raising campaigns and that is fine. But I think for true impact, you need to go beyond that. So I think the theory of change is really important. I'll give you an example with climate change. We, with partners, notice that there is an ambition that we can drive. So if we advocate with other brands for better policies, that in turn can drive higher ambition in the business community. So it's like this kind of virtuous circle. So that was quite an aha moment of a theory of change that is shared with with others, of course. The climate change community knows this. The NGOs, the civil society movement, they know the theory of change. So I think one of the key things is to be connected with those communities on, on topics that you're going to campaign on. In Australia and Italy, in IKEA, the teams did some amazing campaigning on the topic of domestic violence because they felt it was a topic that was important in their societies and to their customers. And they did it in a really sensitive way with a lot of research and really digging into the theory of change. Simon, it's been such a pleasure having you on Purposing. Thank you so much. Thank you, Becky. Been great speaking to you again. Thanks again to Simon. Lots of brilliant insight there. So here's a few things I've taken from the conversation. Creating metrics for your purpose will help shift mindsets away from a singular focus on profit maximization to show how your business creates value on all measures. Although it's no silver bullet, making your leaders accountable for delivering on a balanced scorecard and linking that to remuneration will help drive better purpose outcomes. Your purpose should act like a North Star, helping you make decisions, assess options, prioritize investments, but it's rarely easy. You need to create space for deliberate, thoughtful conversations, be open-minded, face into trade-offs. It's not necessarily about making different decisions, but it's about making decisions differently. To use the power of your brand to create positive change, you need to get the right people working together. That means joining up marketing, public affairs and sustainability. Start with the impact you want to create, define your theory of change and then build your campaign.
If you'd like more practical advice on building a purpose-driven business with brilliant insights from people like Simon, download the Insider's Guide to Purpose at givenagency.com forward slash insider's guide.